More power to the people. No, oh, heck with that. How about more power to the president? Hi, I'm Scott Ott with Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, and this episode of Right Angle is brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com. Gentlemen, there was an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal that got me to thinking, and that's always a dangerous thing. Uh, Basically, the thrust of the article was that it would be more constitutional for the president of the United States to take back some of the power that's been delegated to agencies that uh, usually he appoints the head of, but then is they're kind of treated like they're hands-off, like he can't really do anything about what they do. Uh, in addition, uh, the, the person who wrote this op-ed was making the case that uh, the president should have restored to him a power that was lost in the 1970s, and that is a power that they called impoundment, which basically means when Congress passes a budget, because constitutionally Congress has the power of the purse, um, the president can decide not to spend money that is allocated for certain purposes. In other words, <laughs> in other words, hilarious. The budget is a cap, not a floor. Anyway, I, I thought this was interesting, and they put it in the context of you know uh, currently. Um, or at least within the last five or six years or so, and the president that that we have had and we may get again. But I'm not interested in personalities. I'm interested in the power of the presidency itself. And Stephen Green, it, it seems like a an alluring concept to me to be able to say, Congress can say, okay, you can spend this much and no more in these areas. But since the president is the person to execute and is accountable for that behavior, and in many ways his party becomes accountable for that behavior, why not give the president the authority to say, no, I'm not going to spend that money that was allocated there, or I'm not going to spend as much money as as was allocated there? Oh, there's a lot to dig in, but what I'm reminded of here is uh, the column I wrote about the the bigger picture covering a a similar area, and I I did a play on the old... uh, uh, Irving Crystal book, and it was called uh, Two Cheers for Corruption instead of Two Cheers for Capitalism, which was uh, Crystal's book, which is still a, a nice, breezy little read. Uh, but we used to have a much, 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 much smaller federal government, and the president enjoyed what was known as patronage. That is, uh, the new president would come in, he would give all of his cronies federal jobs, and that, that was the patronage, and it was, it was corrupt as hell. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the new president would come and he'd fire all all the previous people and put his own cronies into all of these federal jobs and and yeah, pretty pretty corrupt. You just you're 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 given you're given make work to your buddies. Well, when the progressives on the left and the right decided a hundred plus years ago that what we needed was a much bigger federal government that would be run by experts. And, and, and these experts would, would know everything and, and they'd be able to just fine-tune policy to make this a much better, much better world and, and all of those uh, lovely progressive dreams that have somehow failed to turn out exactly as, uh, as dreamt. Um, but you needed, you needed this professional class of bureaucrats. And so we got all these anti-corruption laws, which meant the president couldn't fire all of these people. The president couldn't put in all of his cronies to these all of these thousands and thousands and thousands of brand new positions 
So what we have, instead of a little bit of corruption, where a president has a few dozen jobs he can give to his buddies, we have this huge corruption of this vast federal bureaucracy that's completely unaccountable, even to the guy who purportedly sits at the top of it, the, the president of the United States. So we've re we solved the problem of having a little bit of corruption by creating a much bigger corruption problem huge just 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 massive and when i publish this article this this will give you an idea of the brain power enjoyed by our progressive friends uh one of the first comments was from a lefty who said so you're in favor of corruption <laughs> uh oh <laughs> i'm much <laughs> I'm, i'm trying yeah just just you know rtfm except in this case it's uh read the farging column not 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 just the headline um, so the problem isn't so much, Scott, uh, whether or not the president has the, the power to impound these monies. The problem is that all of these agencies exist, all of these departments exist, and that they are so, so huge that nobody could ever get control of them. So the solution isn't to, to fine-tune the balance of power between the, the White House and Congress. The Constitution did a pretty good job of that up until Congress decided it was no longer jealous of its powers and it would just be cowardly and turn everything over to the executive branch. The problem is the damn size of it, and, and you don't solve that by fine-tuning. You solve that by abolishing stuff. Lots and lots and lots of stuff. Now, Bill Whittle, another of the problems uh, that is raised in this op-ed in the Wall Street Journal um, is this idea that once people get uh, jobs in these bureaucracies, they keep them through administrations. The president has the power to uh, appoint heads and, and several layers down, in some cases, of these agencies. So he, he's got a couple of thousand people that he can appoint, but there are tens of thousands of people that he doesn't appoint. And um, even uh, people on the left acknowledge that, in general, the, bu the bureaucracy leans to the left. However, the argument is that it's not as extreme, it tends to be more of a moderating influence than the extremes in either party, and that if you made, let's say, a lot more positions uh, susceptible to presidential appointment, you'd actually get a, lot, a, a much more unstable federal government that would swing ideologically from one administration to the next and you'd wind up with people who were inexperienced. So instead of having somebody who was a 10 or 20 year veteran of an agency and who knew you know, how things worked, you'd get people who came in for a couple of years, you know, four years at the maximum, eight years, and, and then be gone. And so you'd lose that inherent stability. Um, I, there's a, there are about 50,000 positions that this columnist was arguing uh, should be sub subject to uh, he called them at-will appointments, where basically the agency hires this person, but the president can fire that person. And there are some 50,000 of these positions. Uh, do you think the president should have a lot more influence over 
not only uh, who gets appointed to the top posts, but who populates the entire agency and, frankly, have some oversight on their decisions. Instead of saying, well, I appointed the FTC head, and the only way, if I don't like the way things are going, i got to fire the FTC head and then get somebody else appointed through the Senate. What if you said the president has oversight, and if the FTC decides something, the president should be able to veto it? After all, it's his branch of government. Well, there's a lot to uh, unpack there. And first of all, I apologize for going to low res in front of everybody at the last minute here. Uh, but uh, I've obviously, I'm broadcasting now at 220 by 80 or something. Um, in any event, uh, so I completely agree with Steve that the, the, the whole idea of a deep state is, is impossible if the government is being flushed as often as the elected politicians are. That's really, honestly, a, a significant part of our of our current problems. You flush the politicians, and we'll just say, you know, like not down the toilet so much as just replacing one with another, but you don't replace the immortal bureaucracy, which then becomes so ideologically entrenched in whatever it's convinced itself it is, uh, and this leftist idea that oh, it's it's just a moderating influence. No, it's not. It's it's a it's a ideological influence, and we've seen countless cases of where the federal bureaucracy in, ter in terms of like the IRS, the FBI and, and other government agencies disagree with um, a certain political party. And so they do everything they can to stymie them, stop them, slow them down or invent reasons why they're, you know, why they're uh, shouldn't be listened to. The, the two things you mentioned in your um, in your lead that I thought were interesting were uh, this idea, first of all, that the president is actually dispersing his power to the agencies and the entire idea of an executive is that it is one person who's able to make decisions based on all these multiple inputs that's the that's why there's one person there um one of the functions of the president is to be a, a circuit breaker you know if, if congress goes nuts and he's he can say no i don't think so you're gonna have to get a supermajority to override my veto so the idea of a chief executive is interesting and you said you didn't want personalities, but I've never heard a better example of this than than what I think a, a chief executive should be doing. Um, obviously, commander in chief is relatively clear, but um, I was uh, I was told of a story that uh, that during a, one of the later years in Donald Trump's presidency, he was confronted with the fact that I think the French had put a 30% uh, tariff on incoming wines from the United States, mostly from California into France, and he said, "Well, that." We're not going to stand for that. And he was told, no, it's too late. It's already been done. It's been passed by the French parliament. It's, uh, it's, it's law. It's EU law. There's nothing we can do about it. And uh, what I heard about this story anecdotally was President Trump got on the phone and called, I guess, must have been President Macron or something. It basically said, hey, how are you doing? Have a nice day. Great. Fantastic. If you do this, I'm going to put 100% tariff on all French wines coming into this country. 100% tariff. And uh, he said, let me call you back. And uh, 20 minutes later, 20 minutes later, it was gone. Um, so whether that story is true or not, and it sounds like it is true, this is essentially the, the, the power, the importance of the presidency, where, where you have a significant amount of, of power localized in the hands of one individual who can apply it precisely. It's impossible to imagine Congress doing what I just said, for example. It's just, it's just completely impossible to imagine that. So I think the whole idea is, yes, you should let the executive be the executive. And if the executive is handing out so much responsibility to the agencies, then he's no longer in the loop. He's no longer one individual 
presumably looking at the entire board and saying, okay, now I'm going to make a decision in the same way that you only have one captain on a ship. You don't get to vote, you know, which way you're going to go when you're, when you're faced with a, you know, with a, a, a storm and you've got rocks ahead. We're not going to vote on whether we're going to go to port or starboard. Somebody has to make a decision. And that aspect of the presidency needs to be kept. You know, I have a, a strange view of this that's shaped in part by my time serving as a county commissioner. Um, there came a time when the county executive uh, lost his uh, director of administration and he needed to appoint a new director of administration. And some of my conservative colleagues who actually ran together with me as a team uh, to get on the commissioner board were putting an extraordinary level of scrutiny on this guy who actually was a former county commissioner, uh, who was going to be the new director of administration. And they were basically trying to block his appointment. And my argument was, as long as this guy is legal and hasn't violated any laws or rules of the county or anything like that, the executive is entitled to his pick. After all, we're going to evaluate the executive on the basis of his choices. And if we constrain his choices as the legislative body, so much so that he can no longer be held accountable for them, and he has to pick somebody that is essentially our pick as the legislators, well, then it's not his administration. And when he comes up for re-election, the voters, he can easily say to the voters, look, I, I, it would have been a much better term of office last term, except that the county commissioners, the, the legislative body, forced me to do things that I did not want to do. They encroached on my executive authority. And I, I think that the president of the United States should be evaluated on the basis of the decisions he makes, uh, the the people he nominates, the way that the office, uh, the, the way the executive functions uh, perform. And in order to do that, if you want to hold the guy accountable, you've got to give him authority. You can't have accountability without authority. You can't say, hey, you did a terrible job as president, and and I'm sorry, I can't interfere with what the FTC or the FCC or the FAA or the Justice Department or, or the State Department or any other department does, and Congress has forced me to spend this money on things that I wouldn't have otherwise spent money on. You basically tie his hands and then say it's your fault. And I don't think that that's fair to the presidency, and I don't think that it's good for the republic. Now, on the other side of that, people will say, well, it's going to be pretty messy if you constantly are churning people in and out of these offices. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I am willing to sacrifice some stability uh, in exchange for some messiness in order to have true accountability. I know in the 1870s, it seemed like a great idea as the progressive movement was swelling the size of government and, and we had all this faith in experts, as Steve points out to come up with civil service tests to make sure we were getting competent people in there. And, and I don't think we have to drop the civil service test. I think if, if somebody's appointed by the president, he still should be able to be evaluated as competent. However, I think that the president should be the one to make that choice. And I do think what Steve indicates, um, if we made this change and gave the authority of the presidency to, you know, the president, I think it would kind of force a reevaluation of the size and scope of government. Uh, it's funny now to think of it, but when Thomas Jefferson was Secretary of State, he had three staff. <laughs> they, they all many. sat. They all sat in the same office um, together. So it, it's a different world out there than it was then. Um, we 
I think, have an opportunity to, without changing the Constitution, to bring more accountability to the process. And, and I also agree with the columnist who said the Congress can put a cap on spending, but when I was a county commissioner as a legislator, if the executive had come back to us and said, hey, last year's $400 million budget, I found a way to spend only $370 million, I would not have slapped his wrist. As long as he performs the functions that are required under law by his, of his office, if he spends $30 million less, so much the better. We can return that to the taxpayers, or we can find a better use for it, or we can you know, have a tax cut that's enduring. In any case, uh, I think these kinds of process questions are much more important than the nonsense we hear in the news from day to day about who had a better comeback in a debate, or you know, who, who's, who's uh, married to whom, and who's fooling around with who else. And it, it just seems like we're focused on things that don't matter whatsoever and our attention is diverted from the real issues of governance. And a good process of governance makes for a happier society. And as we've said repeatedly here, we are the pursuit of happiness people. This is one of those ways to speed that pursuit. For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible.